0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Hugh Spotlight. Well, this is the advantage of having three different shows on three different sets and sometimes you just don't have the extra body to move the couch. So yes, this is the Hugh living room couch, but it is Hugh Spotlight and we are talking music. And we have a great sit-down interview, virtually of course, with Rob Nash. He is a Manitoban, a true Winnipegger. And let's just say his brush with death never gets old and his music has never been more powerful. Here's my interview with Rob Nash. Well, I think I know this familiar face. Um, I don't want to date us, and I mean as in years, Rob. But it has been a while, but I am so happy to see you are still doing it and your music now is resonating so much more than when we first got together a little over 10 years ago, am I correct?
1: Yeah, and you're not aging, but back Um, then I didn't even have a beard. I know. So it has been a minute.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, you know, like you have to change with the times and roll with the punches, and certainly you have. Um, I mean, the backstory. It has been talked about and you've told it, told it a million times. Um, you're brushed with death, you come back. Uh, now speaking out about mental health, and especially now, Rob, um, going through a pandemic, COVID, isolation, we never thought that we would ever experience anything like this. Coming out of it, still a lot of baggage and a lot of the unknowns, and mental health is now at the forefront so take it away for you on this new album and your message
1: yeah and, and you're right it's <laughs> seeing what everybody's gone through in the last you know couple of years Here has been really tough and people are now starting to talk about it, but i don't think we're going to know the long-term effects of this for a long time um you know i but i understand it you know for me for those who don't know my backstory you know I'm six foot five. I played every sport and when I was 17 years old, you feel indestructible and me and my friends went for a joyride and uh, on these icy Manitoba roads and we were about half a kilometer from our school and we uh, passed one last car and got hit by a semi truck and uh, I was found with no pulse not breathing. Obviously I was resuscitated by a first responder who happened to be the first person driving by um you know it was really interesting i got to sit down and talk with him a few years ago and meeting the man that saved your life it was quite incredible and um yeah and so i don't remember getting into an art accident because you know i was hit on the head really hard they had to rebuild my skull a few times now with titanium so um i woke up you know finding out i was in this big car accident and now i went from a six foot five Dude that played sports to a six foot five guy getting bathed by his mom so I went to a very dark place because I didn't know my identity like I I play sports it's I my identity isn't wasn't in who I was it was in what I do you know that's how I had friends through sports and I was popular and stuff now who am I so it brought me to a really dark place and uh, you know I grew up in a pretty legalistic religious home and people would feed me all these cliches and be like well you know, people would say, you know, it was fate, you know, this is, they this had your name on it, you know, and um, some people in my family actually told me that God spanked me with a semi because I'm a bad kid, so now I was angry with God, but the most common thing people would say to me is they would say that everything happens for a reason, and people say that with good intentions, and I've seen that statement do great things for people, but since my accident, I've met with tons of people, funerals, prisons, hospitals, And I think that that statement actually does more damage than good. It did for me um, because now it's like everything happens for a reason. What's the reason I was hit by a semi truck? I got to find this reason. So I'm thinking, is this how life is when you need a, a life lesson, you have to get struck by lightning, you know? And so it brought me to this really dark place. And for two years I was suicidal. My friends didn't know, my family didn't know. I knew how to keep it all in check, you know, but just like people in the pandemic, Suddenly I was isolated. I couldn't be with my friends. I couldn't play sports, just like what's happened the last two years. And so it's like what that did to my mental health. Like what happens to you in an accident like that physically is one thing, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that was the bigger challenge. So for two years, I was suicidal. Nobody knew. And then somebody came up to me, said the most amazing thing. He goes, Rob, you're trying to figure out the reason you were hit by a semi truck, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, I know what it is. I'm like, what is it? And he goes, you got hit by a semi-truck because you and your friends were going too fast on an icy road. Shit happens. What are you going to do with it? And that sounds simple, but that set me free. I was like, okay, I'm not a puppet. I get to make decisions of where my life is going. I'm done being angry. I got a second chance. Maybe I should do something with this, right? So I'm like, I'm done being angry. I remember I screamed at the sky, and I was like, I want to do something that matters. Like I want my life to count, right? And I thought I'd hear a voice inside of me telling me to like move to Africa and build a well, which I would have done. And that's an amazing thing. I didn't hear that. But the first voice that I heard, like not an audible voice, but you know, you get those gut feelings. Mm-hmm. I felt this phone, the semi driver that hit you and tell them you're alive. And I was like, what? So I phoned the police. I'm like, Hey, can I get the phone number of the semi driver that ran me over? <laughs> and the cops were like, no, like, Oh my God, I tried. But this voice wouldn't leave me alone, so I kept trying. And finally, I got a hold of this truck driver from the States. And I said, hey, do you remember that car accident up in Canada? And he got real quiet. He's like, yeah. I said, I just felt that I should call you and tell you, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm alive. I survived. And he goes, I'm just so sorry about your friend. He goes, I'm like, what friend? He goes, the one that died and lost his skull. I was like, no, that's me. That's why I'm calling. And I could hear it. It set this guy free. But that wasn't the remarkable part of that story, the remarkable part was what happened to me. Cause I was like, that felt good. I had never done anything for anyone but me till that day. And I was like, I want that. I want that feeling again, because for two years I was terrified to fall asleep after that accident because last time I woke up, I had all these injuries and I was in an accident. So what, if I fall asleep, what's going to happen? Is it, do I wake up next time? Am I going to, you know, I was just, and it was, and I'd always have the same nightmare. And my nightmare was watching my own funeral and nobody showed up. Nobody cared that I lived or that I died. So I'm like, I got to do something with this. So I'm like, how can I tell my story? Cause there's gotta be other people like me that are having those same thoughts and not talking about it. So I'm like, I got to tell my story. I'm like, what's a way to tell a story music. Okay. So I started a band, um, I thought I was doing decent, like my writing and stuff like that. And it was okay. I wasn't a great writer. I wasn't a great singer. My worst mark in school was music. Actually. <laughs> I didn't make it into the choir cause my voice wasn't good enough, but I, I it wasn't about what I wanted to be a musician mm-hmm. for me. It was why, why I wanted to do it is to tell a story. So it kept going, got better and finally got a record deal, had a few top 10 hits on the radio and that's when you and I met mm-hmm. and then, uh, Yeah, we were getting ready to go to the States for a record deal there and stuff. And I was like, man, like, it it was fun. We were playing big shows. We're crowd surfing, but I'm like, but I'm not really telling my story. And then I got offered this nine-month tour to go through schools telling my story, just me and my guitar. But it was a nine-month tour with no pay. I was like, I got to do it. And everyone thought it was crazy because I walked away from everything, me and my guitar, had to refinance my home, owed tons of money because I didn't. Finished the record deal right but I just walked and I just started talking with people and meeting people and after the nine months other schools and other communities started calling prisons youth detention centers reserves saying hey we heard about your effectiveness can you come and put a band back together and started telling these stories and then yeah it was just incredible and one of the most remarkable parts was we had been doing for a few years But at our shows, I tell my story and it was like, Mm -hmm. hey, I had this accident, so make every day count because you never know what tomorrow has Mm -hmm. for you, right? But I never talked about the fact that I had been suicidal because I thought, ugh, what would the students think of me? What would the staff think of me if I revealed this weakness, right? But then one day we got called to a school in Ontario and they said, "Um, can you come right away? We lost a girl to suicide. And on her suicide note, It revealed that she had a pact with a friend. Like if you kill yourself, I'll kill myself. They said, can you come right away? We don't know who it is. So we flew out there and got a thousand students sitting in front of me. And it was an eerie feeling. Somebody sitting in front of me was about to take their life. I don't know where they're sitting. And I could feel my heart starting to beat faster. And I'm like, I gotta say it that I was there once too. I was terrified. I'm like, I know somebody in this room is thinking about taking their life You're not alone. I was there once, too. And I braced, and it felt like a 1,000 pounds off of me. And the relationship between me and the audience went to another level. Between my team, they didn't know I was there once. I kept it a secret, right? Mm. And then this girl came up to me after the show, and she hands me a note. I'm like, what's this? She goes, my suicide note. I was going to kill myself this weekend. She's like, I don't need this anymore. And then she walked off with the school counselor to get help. And I was like, wow, like we found her. And I I talked with a police officer that, you know, deals with a lot of teen suicides. And I was like, I don't understand. How did she have that note on her? Like that wasn't freshly written. And and the police officer said, yeah, very rarely is the note freshly written. People write it usually carry it with them for two to three months before they take their life waiting for somebody to push them over the edge or for somebody to say, say something, lets them know they're not alone. So it was like two days later, another thousand students. I'm like, well, if the stats from Kids Help Phone are true, pre-COVID, one in five teenagers had seriously considered suicide in the last 12 months. Something like another thousand students. So I said it again. And it was easier the second time. Mm-hmm. Somebody here is thinking about it. I was there once too. And a young man came up to me and gave me his note. And he uh, yeah, had 917 suicide notes in a 10-year tour. And uh, saw some people have remarkable breakthroughs. You know, it was, It, was, wow. it felt fulfilling for the first time.
0: Well, hey, there's that feeling again that you had when you called that truck driver, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's something we all crave. Like, we toured with some of the biggest fans and mm-hmm. great experiences. But when you meet them backstage, you think they'd be so fulfilled because they're so successful. They got the big house. But some, some of them were the most empty people I met. And mm-hmm. I think it's because they stopped at success and they never went on to significance. Significance is when your life matters to the world around you. That's what we crave, all of us. Yeah, we want to make we want to make a difference in the world around us. So, yeah. And then before COVID, the demand was so big, we couldn't go from school to school anymore. So we started bringing twenty schools together, thirty schools together. And our last show before the pandemic was at the arena in Medicine Hat. We walked off stage and felt like the world ended. And I'm like, this is not going to be fun for people with their mental health, I was there once. Isolation, this is not gonna be good, you know.
0: Wow, and then now you've got this new record. And I just wanna say too, that if you asked, and you could, I don't know, but I've heard too, um, if you ask how many have thought of suicide, you'd be amazed at how many hands would go up.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it just happened at the mall the other day. This girl comes up to me and she goes, oh, you're Rob, like, from of a selfie. I'm like, yeah, she goes, your music means so much to me because, you know, I was diagnosed with depression. I have suicidal thoughts. And I looked at her, I'm like, oh, so you're like me. And she's <laughs> like, what do you mean? I'm like, you hurt deeply, but you love deeply too, don't you? And she's like, yeah. I was like, you hurt deeply, but you can see when others are hurting, can't you? She's like, yeah. I'm like, hmm. Now, depression is very real. But isn't it in- interesting that we don't get diagnosed with empathy? Because there, there's, some, <laughs> yeah. there's some beautiful parts about being super emotional. And I, mm-hmm. act, act, after talking to 800,000 students, I actually think there's a connection between the arts and mental illness. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced of it. Because as artists, we're meant to channel our, mm-hmm. our emotions into a song, into a poem, into a dance, into a painting, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, channel this, keep going, you know, and... When the pandemic hit too you know i I looked at my team i'm like i don't know if it's gonna be two weeks or two months but i think we have to it's time to start sharing the stories we've collected because um i don't think they're gonna let 10 20 schools come together for a show anytime soon so uh, there was a film crew that had done a little piece on me on cbc a few years ago like they were hired by Mm -hmm. cbc great guys and i called them during the pandemic i'm like hey can you help us tell some stories? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, I want to follow up with 10 of these kids that gave us suicide. And I was like, find out where are they now? So we started traveling and collecting these stories and just some incredible things. One, one kid, uh, met him on a reserve in Northern Saskatchewan an indigenous kid. And uh, you know, he had a couple suicide attempts and I was like, dude, you gotta keep going. Somebody needs your story. Like, I'm, are you glad I'm still here? He's like, yeah. I'm like, somebody will say the same thing to you one day. I was like, like channel your emotion. Do you like painting, dancing, poetry? Do you write in a diary? Do you like music? He goes, I love music. I'm like, if you play anything, what would you play? He goes guitar. He's like, play guitar then. And he goes, he shows me, he's a below the elbow amputee. He has no, he just has an elbow here. And I was like, don't give me any excuses play. And you plan to see the kid like that. Right. And I showed him a video of a kid that plays drums with two elbows and he's great. And, uh, last summer he wrote us and he said thanks for pushing me um here's a video of me playing uh metallica a (laughs) a song at our school talent show ripping after playing for two and a half years with one arm he has a callus on his elbow that he uses as a guitar pick and he plays better than i do in (laughs) two and a half years so he's Mm -hmm. in this documentary that we shot it'll be coming out soon and it's like incredible and we also i put together a team of like um, teachers and psychologists and social workers and counselors and I said, can you take these episodes to these kids and like let's make a like some episodes that they can show in schools. So we put together like this living curriculum and we beta tested in four provinces and it's out now. But they can watch my story and then they journal. What was Rob's struggle? What was his breakthrough? How did he get help? And how is he helping other people? Then they watch this kid's story, Dylan. Mm-hmm. What was his struggle? What was his breakthrough? And after the fourth episode, it's like, what's your struggle? where could you find a breakthrough how could you get help and the teachers are going we can't believe what they're pointing into these journals we had so many of these kids they say 60 percent of them they were unaware that they were struggling wow like they were flying under the radar so it's like it's just feels so good to be spreading hope again because um it the last two years it just felt like we're kind of on the sidelines and so many communities reaching out saying help and I'm like why are you calling me I'm a kid from Cleefeld Manitoba like (laughs) like we just don't know what to do you know and uh yeah and now we've seen what our governments are willing to do
2: Mm -hmm.
1: when there's a potential loss of life and I know there's a lot of parents and grandparents and counselors and Mm -hmm. uncles and aunts that would say like I can tell you another pandemic where we're losing a lot of young people and it's to suicide to overdoses and stuff and you know, if one in five kids had a heart condition like that, you'd have a nurse in every hallway, but instead we go to schools where they share one counselor for eight schools. And what yeah. are you supposed to do, schedule your suicidal thoughts for three weeks from now? It not work <laughs> like that, you know? Oh,
0: my goodness. <laughs> and through all of this, Rob, I mean, they, these are fantastic stories, and they really do need to get out of it. Um, but I guess for you, how have you grown uh, personally, too, like... I mean, you still must have, you're never cured. You still must have some dark moments too still. And how do you get out of it?
1: Well, I think um, mental health is like physical health. Um, There's days where you feel 100% physically or mentally, and there's days you don't, Mm -hmm. right? Where you're just like, I'm, I'm feeling off today. Now, some people, you know, a low is feeling 80% if you have mental health issues and depression and stuff like that, you can get down to 5% lower. So, you know, I lost my dad last spring
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, you know, I I haven't lost a lot of people close to me. So it was really difficult for me. And I had to start to, you know, really start taking some of the advice that I have been given to so many people for so long. Like, you know, again, trying to just destroy so many of the cliches because, You know, if I speak at a funeral and I've done too many during COVID on Zoom because there's five people out at the funeral, which is a shame. But, you know, people often say when you lose somebody, for example, you know, people say, like, don't worry, you know, the pain will go away. It's like, no, it won't. And it shouldn't. Like, the pain of losing my dad's not going to go away because I'm never going to forget him and it hurts. I, I miss him, you know. But I've always said... If pain doesn't go away, neither does the strength. If you wake up in the morning looking for pain, you'll find it. If you get up in the morning looking for strength or hope or help, you'll find that too. And sometimes that's a daily decision if you're like me and you've gone to those dark places. But you know the the, the antidote to depression isn't happiness. I think it's, it's purpose. Like there's, there's a reason I should keep going. There's it's cause if you've never been to that place where you've thought about taking your life, people often say like, Oh, suicide is a selfish act because you take your pain and you give it to the people around you and granted that happens. But if you've never been to that place where you are thinking of taking your life, you don't know that the voice you're hearing in your head tells you that the most selfless, thing you could do is leave. You're you're you a burden to the world around you. Your parents would be better off. Your family, your friends would be better off if you were gone. And that's the lie that through our music, through um, our presentations, our concerts, that's what we try to dismantle that lie. Because I had that lie in my head and I'm glad I stuck around, you know, because my stories helped a few people, even though nobody's ever walked up and said, oh, Rob, I was hit by a semi like you and I have a metal skull. No one's ever said that to me. But they say, this guy's been through something tough. So have I.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. He's talking about it. Maybe so should I. He says there's help. Maybe I should go find it, you know, because there are resources out there. Mm -hmm. But unless you raise your hand and say like, yeah, I'm one of those that needs it. And that's kind of what I talk about in this new album you know I I toured so much I hadn't written a new song in a hot minute so I started writing and one of the awards that I got for the work that I do uh, um, I was backstage there was four of us getting the award the other three guys were uh, they're all wearing their army fatigues and they were missing limbs and I'm backstage going what am I doing here I'm like I'm a musician I didn't lose a limb in war you know what I just felt so unworthy." But then when they introduced me, they said, this next guy is fighting a different kind of a war, a war against an invisible enemy called mental illness. And the artist in me went, oh, I could work with that. <laughs> you know, like, and I had worked on a song in the past t- talking about war. And so, yeah, that's the theme of our new album, 18 songs. But the title track, This Is War, kind of calls into question what, what we've created in the West. Like, we think this is paradise this is the promised land. Like this is where everybody wants to live, but is it the promised land? We think it is. This is where there's the most suicides, the most overdoses. So what have we really created here? And I kind of challenge that it's like the beginning of the song that says, you know, um, so this is war. Um, Bodies have filled the streets. Blood is beneath my feet. So this is war casting a shadow. Where's the hero? Like it's time that we unite and, and fight together because I think we're losing some of the most gifted people to suicide. I've never been at a funeral or met parents or anybody that says, oh, yeah, it's a good thing our daughter's gone. She had nothing to offer this world. It's always the opposite. Mm-hmm. She was so gifted. How did she not see it? You know, look at Hollywood again.
2: Mm-hmm. Lincoln
1: Park, Nirvana, Robin mm-hmm. Williams, some of the most talented people that like they had a struggle to them, you know, gifted, gifted people. And when you look at them at, like, I'm not here because I feel sorry for you. I'm here because I believe in you. I think you could, I, I think you could do bigger things than I've ever done. Like that kid Dylan playing guitar yeah. with one arm. I think yeah. he's going to do bigger things than I've ever done. But when we go back on tour, that guy's going to be on stage with us. Yes,
0: yeah, so I was going to say. I mean, he should. You should uh, like at least give him a guitar solo or something. But oh my God, I I could talk with you for hours. There's so much here. But kudos to you. Uh, you've taken your story yes and you shared your story but you've taken it all to a new level so let's hope that others out there not only share their story but can help the next person so i think if we kind of do that then we can do what your big game plan is is to really uh you know win this war so we Mm -hmm. have this is war but we will also have a new song too
1: yeah the whole um album kind of has this war theme and the song this is war kind of talks about that moment you're on the front lines Mm -hmm. you know um and then there's moments in the album where you're in triage where you're like trying to heal up and then there's moments you're in victory and uh i was i do a lot of work with the indigenous and metis communication communities and uh i was actually you know in the beginning when we started doing those shows there was some tension it's like okay here comes another white boy you know like um, but once they saw we were genuine uh, not only were we accepted we were embraced and I was given my spirit name uh, they call me bear chief the the protector and that's why I tattooed the bear on my hand with chief across the fingers um, I was like you know they embraced because they could tell it was genuine and we were I was sitting down with um one of the chiefs and uh one of the heads of the metis federation and i was like hey i want to tell your story but i've never lived your experience and they're like stop that and i was like what like look we don't have a lot of allies you know and people are listening to you that wouldn't necessarily listen to us we're just so thankful that you fight for us and stuff and i was like wow it's like thank you for being an ally and i'm like another ring in my head as an artist i'm like ally so i wrote a song called ally and it just talks about a story between two people that you know shared that common um, experience of tragedy and dark thoughts and they make a vow to you know call each other whenever they need even when they get older and stuff so in the music video you'll see them you know young playing you know, basketball together and they're there for each other and then they grow older and they have their own jobs. I'm one of them. I'm they show (laughs) I'm off on tour and, you know, he's having a struggle and and we always stay in touch as you hear And it. The chorus says when the shots fly after midnight, when there's dark skies, I'm your ally. You need to know uh, even when stars shine, I'll take a red eye and I'll sit by your bedside. You know, like we all need an ally. We're not meant to do this life on our own. WE ALL NEED AN ALLY. and I THINK WE ALL WANT TO BE AN ALLY TO SOMEBODY ELSE. um, BECAUSE WE'RE NOT DESIGNED TO DO THIS ALONE. AND TOO MANY PEOPLE ARE DOING EXACTLY THAT.
0: WELL, THANK YOU SO MUCH, ROB. AND WE'LL SHOW THOSE VIDEOS. THIS IS WAR an ALLY. ROB NASH, KEEP ON DOING THE WORK THAT YOU DO. THANK YOU SO MUCH.
1: I'M GLAD WE'RE ON THE SAME TEAM.
2: far behind The moment always edged deep inside my mind was the moment we were reading letters back and when stars shine, I took a red eye, sit by your bedside, you need to know, when there's no light, you're waiting for sunrise, I can hear your cries, you need to know, you better believe I'm ready to remind, I'm still your ally, you need to know. I'm your ally, you need to know Even when stars shine, I take the red eyes By your bedside, you need to know When there's no light, you're waiting for sunrise I can hear your cries, you need to know You better believe I'm ready to remind I'm still your ally, you need to know No
0: I want to give a very special thank you to Rob. It was wonderful catching up with him. And stay tuned for more great music. His album will be out shortly. And we wrap it up with, uh, I guess, we'll see you soon. Our next guest will be Katrina here in the hot seat on the Hue Spotlight. And yes, we will have the stools back. So thanks for watching. And we'll see you next time on the Hue Spotlight.
2: What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect